Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. Hello. So we're talking about the deadly racially motivated mass shootings in Buffalo, New York. And you won't believe why a mother is suing her son's school. Also, why former co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, has been hit with more allegations. And who is being considered to host the 2023 Oscars? Let's get down to business with another round of the political and trending highlights of the week. Please welcome my Friday co-host, the co-founder of the Anti-Racism Kentucky Coalition, Dr. O.J. Oleka. Hi. Good to see you, Tammy Mack. Activist and radio personality, Dominique DePrima. What's up, Tammy Mack? Comedian and filmmaker, Alicia Cooper is here. Tammy. And filling in for Ed Sanders, but not a stranger to the show by any means, the host of A Fresh Perspective, Ah, Jeff Charles. Hi, Jeff. Hey, I'm glad to be back with you guys. Yeah, we're going to start off uh, with the hard stuff first. On Saturday, May 14th, a racially motivated mass shooting happened in Buffalo, New York at a Topps Friendly Market store. Ten people were killed and three others were injured. Eleven of the victims were black. Shockingly, the shooter, 18-year-old Peyton Gendron, live streamed the attack on Twitch for about two minutes before the platform removed it. Described as a massacre aimed at killing as many black people as possible is what this was. And he pled not guilty to first degree murder. How little has the country done when it comes to reckoning with the growing threat of white supremacy? I want to say this before we get started, because this has really shook me to the core. And as a radio host, a lot of my listeners are afraid to go out in public now because we don't know when the next one or where the next one will be. But my thing is, um, how is it that the feds can find, uh, can pull up uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and go through emails of these rappers and file RICO charges on them? But then when it comes to white supremacists who put a whole 180 page manifesto on their Facebook page, who sh shoots, goes into a grocery store and shoots a, a, a mass, a, a mass load of people on a platform and they can't seem to stop or find them before these things happen. I mean, it really tells us where the priorities of America lies and that's in letting white supremacists kill black people and putting black people away. Uh, there has to be some sort of medium for this. There has to be another way. I mean, America can make hate crime bills for every other ethnicity except black people. It's really becoming a little annoying at this point and extremely dangerous for black people to live in this America. And it's a sad, sad story for America to have to tell. Dominique, go ahead. Well, you know, you've laid out a lot of things that are important for us to consider. Um, and there, here's a young person who actually threatened his own high school. Given what we've seen with mass shootings in high schools, you would think that he would be being tracked, right? For sure, that's someone you would track. Those are major red flags. Many African-Americans have pointed out on social media and on my radio show that this person would not have been taken into custody alive had they been black. 
you know, had they had a belt buckle, a cell phone, or, you know, a furtive glance, they would have been mowed down. But this person can come with body armor, some kind of weird uniform, and semi-automatic weapons after having shot 13 people and be gently taken in, into custody and having been talked off the ledge from taking his own life. It is about priorities. And it's also about facing facts. We're so busy fighting terror in Somalia, fighting terror in, uh, you know, the rest of the world that we don't focus on the major white supremacist terror threat of domestic terror right here at home. But it also makes you think that it's because the powers that be are complicit. It makes no sense why all this stuff keeps happening. There's no accountability. This uh, uh, shooter in Buffalo, they said the armor he had on was over $2,000. The weaponry was over $2,000. This is a teenager. So that means that his parents or somebody else is funding all of this stuff. When do we hold the parents accountable for these people? It has to be deeper than this. You know, if you ride in a car with somebody who commits a crime, you get the same penalty they get, whether you had anything to do with the crime or not. So it's like we have to go deeper with this stuff. And it's all this implicit bias, explicit bias is very frustrating. Even that six, nine guy who broke out of jail with the corrections officer. This man was tall, huge. Never once did you hear the cops describe him as large. And he's so big like they would do George Floyd, like they did Terrence Clutcher. Crutcher, anytime a black guy, uh, Alton Sterling, they were so large. They never used that adjective to describe this massive white male who escaped from prison. He did. He 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 was turned in without a scratch on him, just like the Buffalo shooter. So it really lets you know that this stuff is done on purpose, and they are planning on upholding white supremacy. They have no uh, no plans on changing any of these systems. If they had, it would have changed a long time ago. And I just have no faith in our system, any of the systems that are in place, because we haven't seen anything otherwise. Why does everybody else get a hate crime bill immediately and African-Americans get nothing? Absolutely nothing. And you can go through all the rap lyrics you want and 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 <laughs> and convict black men. But you can't go through a Facebook page with a hundred and eight page manifesto or look at a white man's history and, and decide this is this could be problematic. We should. Miami, do you realize how many times I've been in Facebook jail for responding to white supremacy? If I say anything back, my, I'm, I'm, I'm locked up in Facebook jail. Instagram has gone into my private messages and I didn't even say anything and I got banned. So I'm like, y'all are attacking me. But somebody like this is, is uh, it makes no sense. Jeff? I mean, I agree with everything that Alicia just said. I mean, what this incident shows, just like all the other incidents shows, is that we can't rely on the government. I mean, they're not going to, they're, they're not here to protect us. I mean, we're talking about hate crime bills. I was having this conversation the other day. Part of me is almost glad that they didn't because it wouldn't have done anything anyway. It would have given, given us a false sense of security. The bottom line is that if we're going to, if we're going to be protected from white supremacist, supremacist threats or other threats, we got to do it ourselves. I mean, I, I, if I'm going to be attacked by a white supremacist, the government's not likely to help me. My Smith and Wesson is. A, so I think that when we when we see these incidents, we have to realize these are not our friends. Sure, there are plenty of people who actually want to help. I mean, the FBI does catch some of these people, but even if they were trying to their fullest extent, they're not going to catch everybody. As a people, we need to protect ourselves and stop. And, and, and the government shouldn't be our focus because they're they're not here for us. 
Well, I think the hate crime bills have more to do with the consequences that come along with it. I mean, mm-hmm. you can carry a Smith & Wesson, but I doubt that you're ready and prepared to pull it out in the grocery store while you're picking up your orange juice. That's a, that's, that's a different situation that I don't think anyone in that grocery store was prepared for. Not even the security guard that was shot and killed who pulled out his gun to shoot at the man who had body armor on. And that did no good either. Go ahead, OJ. Well, this really is an incredibly sad and tragic case. And it actually reminded me of something that happened in Louisville some four years ago. We had a shooting in our local Kroger, one of them, and it was racially motivated as well. A few black folks lost their lives. I was talking to a colleague, a black woman about this yesterday. That was her Kroger. And she felt like she couldn't go in there for several months afterwards. And she said a lot of people felt the same way. Everyone has made a lot of good points. And the only addition I would add is that this has real psychological challenges for black people afterwards because nobody is going to follow up to then talk to the people who can't go to that only single grocery in their community because again this shooter chose this place because this was in the most predominantly black neighborhood in buffalo with the one grocery store that they have so we are certainly talking about white supremacy that is absolutely a terrible domestic issue that we need to figure out but there are other policy implications here as well when you have one grocery for all the black people in your community, and you have somebody with this deranged mind, you effectively allow them to create a kill box in a grocery store. There are incredibly layered, deep problems from a policy perspective that we've got to figure out locally, state, and federally. But also, I think that we're right, that we have to look at these issues for ourselves and figure out how we can police our own communities. And by police, I mean, if you see something, say something. We've got to protect one another as citizens in this country. And Tammy, and Tammy, you mentioned the security guard who was also a retired cop and a father of three and a pillar of the community. And he was the good guy with the gun. And that, so that whole good guy with the gun thing, I, they want us to arm ourselves. He was uh, trained. Uh, you know, for me, somebody, if I'm in a grocery store, you don't want me with a gun because I, I, I'm not the one, you know, I, I'm already going to be flustered. I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I, this good guy with the gun thing, we really have to figure out how to best deal with these guns in America because they are uh, the problem. You know, this guy had more better weaponry than the police. Just a quick note about the hate crimes bill, though. It's called Asian American Hate Crimes Bill, but it funds hate crime prevention and reporting for everyone. It's not only for Asian Americans, it's for all people. Um, And it added a couple of positions specifically dealing with Asian Americans, but we know that African Americans are the number one target of hate crimes in this country, always have been and continue to be, even with a surge in Asian hate. And we know that that hate crimes bill, regardless of what it's named, is actually meant to protect everybody, all Americans in all 50 states. Well, I, just I, want to add that. I think that there's a, an optics uh, issue there, uh, much like yeah. fund the police. You know what I mean? There's definitely a, a name a situation. But then when you say yes. there are specifics. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you know, being armed doesn't 100 percent guarantee that you're going to get out of that alive. But the government's not going to help. And there have been mass shootings stopped by a good guy with a gun. It happened twice in Texas. There have been other mass shootings that have been stopped by somebody who knew how to use a gun. They were trained and they stopped the mass shooting or prevented it from getting worse. So it's never a 100 percent guarantee because that doesn't exist. Interestingly, they're usually not not cops. Yep. Yeah, when I was in Texas in Target and I saw a man with a a gun on the side of his uh, belt buckle or pocket and I was like, 
oh my God, no, anybody going to do anything? And I was like, oh, this is Texas. Yeah. Texas. <laughs> this, is this is what they do. So unfortunately, I guess that didn't happen in Texas. I don't know. Uh, we'll take a break. Be back. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. And today we, uh, the Business of Being Black is the, the this week in political and trending topics. Let's go. So parents in the U.S. are in an uproar over the shortage of baby formula. The infant formula industry is a multi-billion dollar business dominated by a handful of firms. In this country, only four companies control about 90% of the market, including about... Um, Abbott Nutrition, the firm behind the closed plant in Michigan. And typically the U.S. buys almost no infant formula from other countries. Um, lots to consider, like the pandemic-related supply chain issues and ingredient shortages led to some of these formulas being out of stock around the country. And during last fall and winter, there were reports of babies getting sick from a bacteria uh, that can cause a deadly uh, meningitis. Two babies died. And Abbott Laboratories, maker of popular baby formulas, did not take proper steps to prevent the contamination. So the federal government relies on one single supplier to provide formula through its special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children. That's WIC. We know it well. How do we get into this mess? And, and then I have to add that 192 uh, Republicans decided against the emergency baby formula bill. Um, it's interesting that uh, we, we want to prevent abortions and there's no baby formula, but okay. <laughs> so, okay. Go ahead, Dr. Oleka. Well, uh, this is a government-created problem, so it's clear why Republicans wouldn't vote for a government-offered solution. Let's go through all the things that you mentioned. First, the government relies on one sole source for its supply for WIC. That is a problem. That's a law that the Fed's created that they can change. So as a result, Abbott has total control over the supply of this baby formula. How do they get total control? Because as you mentioned, there are only four firms. They're not four firms in the world, but because of tariffs and because of federal regulation, the companies in Canada and Europe who could produce great baby formula as they do for other people all around the world can't compete in the United States the way that they would like to. So what does the Biden administration do when there's an issue in Michigan? They shut down 40% of the production of baby formula with no solution. They did this in February, it's now May. So you have all kinds of families, all kinds of mothers, all kinds of babies for the last three months trying to figure out how to eat. And the Biden administration has no answer. It wasn't until people actually started to complain on social media and this was brought up to them that they actually decided to do something. But again, the thing they're doing doesn't solve the problem. So when you pass a bill that says, yeah, we want to increase baby formula, the result is government inaction and government bad policy. So asking the government to do more is not going to solve the problem. Dominique? Well, okay. I mean, we can we can break down all of the problems. How did this monopoly on baby formula come to be? Um, why is the government so bad at fixing problems? But I was happy to see the Biden administration moving uh, to bring in, you know, the Defense Production Act so people can, so they can speed up uh, formula, uh, loosening the restrictions on WIC moms to be able to get formula from more than one provider, um, opening up to, uh, you know, foreign providers of formula, all of those actions 
are swift and they're necessary. And I'm glad that the Biden administration is doing them. I think it's a little disingenuous to say the Biden administration just shut down this factory as if they did it because they woke up in a bad mood. I mean, there was problems with contamination and bacteria that were killing babies. So you kind of have to address that uh, with, with swift action. Um, you know, it, it's a terrible, terrible situation. I don't have a baby. I know you do, Dr. Oleka. So I almost feel like I should be talking about it. But I, you know, and I breastfed mine, so I didn't use formula. And if, whenever possible, I'm an advocate for that, but not everyone can do it. So we have got to get all hands on deck so that people can have the supplies. To, I mean, if we can't feed our, our kids as a so-called first world country, then what, what can we do? Listen, I'm no mother, but I do remember uh, 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 mixing up some pet milk with a little bit of sugar and a little bit of uh, <laughs> to create a baby formula like baby formula has not always been in existence. So I feel like there's got to be another way. Right. Like you can't just be strung out. Yeah. But Tammy, you're not supposed to add water to it or feed them rice milk because you can actually kill your own baby by malnutrition. Like homemade baby formula may be good for a day here or there, but it's not something that can sustain an infant. They have very demanding nutritional needs. So but also, doctor, like you said, the right uh, didn't want to support this because it's more government overreach. Well, if you're the party of pro-life, you're pro-life then that's what it is. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's government overreach when you're getting in people's abortion business. You said it was a self-made, created problem. Who cares who created the problem? We got to keep these kids safe. It's a created problem if you want to have an abortion because you didn't know the man you slept with. But, uh, but the right wants to get involved in that. At the end of the day, we've got to solve this problem. It doesn't matter who created it. And if you're pro-life, get involved in helping solve this problem. Well, the reason why Republicans wouldn't support that bill is because the bill doesn't solve the problem. My point is that if the government is going to say, well, we're going to throw money at the baby formula shortage, the issue isn't with money. There is no drop in demand. The issue is with supply. Why is there an issue with supply? Because the federal government shut down a plant that produces 40% of baby formula in this country and then did not figure out a solution to find the other 40% that they just shut down. Yes, you want to protect babies. Yes, you want to be a country that offers opportunities for kids to eat. Nobody's debating that. But if you're going to be a competent federal government, you can't shut down 40% of the supply and have no solution. Actually, people are debating it, OJ. Otherwise, Republicans would have joined us and passed that child tax credit. So 4 million American children that are already out of the womb and grown could eat. But no, we threw them back into hunger and poverty because people feel like it's too expensive to pass the child tax credit. Meanwhile, we can send $54 billion to Ukraine at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Well, again, this was I'm a- glad that you brought that up because we're spending billions of dollars in Ukraine. But, you know, once I found out that the government was blocking us from getting formula from other countries and they shut down the plant, I was like, OK, of course, that's why it happened. We can send all this money o- o- overseas, but we can't use it to get formula from other countries. Like, I understand that maybe some countries you don't want to get that stuff from. But I'm sure there are plenty of countries that produce baby formula that we could be buying right now to address that supply issue. And we're not. Precisely. Canada, countries in Europe, they make baby formula all the time. The only reason why they can't produce the way that they would want to for the United States is because of federal regulation. So I go back to what I said before. What they're trying to do in Congress is not a solution. The solution 
is to reduce regulation what the Biden administration can do. And that way you can actually have more baby formula. You can have a higher capacity. Those countries or those companies in those other countries certainly want to sell to the United States. And we're talking about Canada and countries in Western Europe. It's not like they've got standards that the FDA wouldn't approve. And Patty Murray, who is a chair of the health committee, the health, education, labor and pensions committee in the Senate, a Democrat, made a point to say everyone is failing on this. She made a point to say her own president is failing on this. So don't take the words of a partisan Republican like me. Look at Patty Murray, the senator from Washington state. I know you're not saying that's formula safe because it's coming from white Western countries. I, I need my baby formula regulated. I'm not just going to feed my kid any old thing. And I know you're not either, OJ. Again, if the Biden administration is going to shut down 40 percent of the baby formula in this country, they need to have a way at that same time that they shut down that 40 percent to provide it. It's, it. This isn't rocket science that people people in the FDA, people in the federal government should be able to figure out. This is a question of competence. And the Biden administration has none. He does make a point when he says, you know, you shut down the plant, but you didn't have uh, a backup there when you shut it down. So I, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like uh, I found a way uh, to become an entrepreneur and that's to create baby formula. <laughs> I don't know. You just talked about pet milk and water. I don't, I don't know if you want to put the recipe out there. You scared me, Tammy Mac. Throw in a little beer. <laughs> a little bit of whiskey won't hurt, you know. <laughs> well, Bette Midler did get into a little trouble when she said, uh, uh, why are we, you know, basically why are we complaining about this baby formula when we've got breast? It's It's free milk. And I do understand that not all women can breastfeed. So she got into a little hot water on social media about that. I don't know if any of you remember that or not, but I did. I responded yeah, to it I on saw Twitter. What did you respond? <laughs> what did you respond, Dr. Oleka? I said it's one of the most <laughs> inaccurate and stupid comments that somebody could make about women breastfeeding to just assume that anybody can do it. And the reason why they're not doing it is because they don't want to is a complete misunderstanding of how the 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 mother's body works, quite frankly. And I guess I made the second stupidest today when I said uh, mix a little pet milk with a little beer. <laughs> so we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack with another round of the political and trending highlights of the week. Please welcome my Friday co-host, the co-founder of the Anti-Racism Coalition, Kentucky Coalition, that is, Dr. O.J. Oleka, activist and radio personality, Dominique DePrima, Comedian and filmmaker Alicia Cooper and filling in for Ed Sanders, but not a stranger to the show, the host of A Fresh Perspective, Jeff Charles is here. Hi, everyone. Um, listen, it's so, much, it's so much to talk about. A lot happened this week. My goodness. A white mother of a 13-year-old biracial son in Virginia is suing his school over the anti-racism curriculum. His mother claims it has changed his overall perspective on race. We have a clip. Take a look. Right. We didn't have issues before. He's in eighth grade. They introduced this critical um, program, and now he's having racial issues. That what, was not there before. What kind of racial issues is he having? Well, he's seen himself just as a black man. He's seen things that don't go his way as racism, um, and he's finding safety in numbers now. So when you're saying he gets a bad grade at school, he blames racism or 
a girl rejects him on a date, racism, are those the kind of things you're seeing? Yes, I ask him to clean the house, racism, yes. <laughs> I think this whole idea is racism. Uh, he, he sounds like a comedian to me. And Listen, I, I hope, I really hope, <laughs> I hope that, well, I, I would wish that more parents of white supremacists would see this problem. That's what I would hope. Because if we had, if we had white mothers going on uh, Fox News to say, well, you know, I think that my son is a racist. He has done this 180 page manifesto that I found. And uh, he thinks that black people <laughs> are going to control the world. Um, he thinks that our race is going to become the minority. Like, where are those mothers and their concerns as <laughs> what I'm trying to figure out right now. Go ahead, Alicia. Yeah, they're certainly never going to be on Fox News. Uh, that's <laughs> And I knew it was either going to be Florida, Virginia, or Texas. And this woman is such a daggone joke. First of all, the, the young man is aging. And 13 is around the time where you really start seeing race. That's when I started seeing it. And it, it, it's, a, it's natural maturation. He's maturing. He's saying stuff. And Fox News, such a joke. Oh, the girl rejects him on a date. Racism. First of all, she wouldn't have agreed to date him if she was a racist. So just shut up. I, I, that, that whole network just gets on my daggone nerves. And that mother, I, I, the, the man who procreated with her, let's start there. They need to stop sleeping with these white supremacists. They act like they can't see it in advance. Pay attention to who you're laying down with. How about that? Because now you, she said, I'm a single mother. So that means the man is gone. You left your child in the house with that woman. And that's a bigger issue to me than what he's talking about and learning in school. And you notice how she was slick. She didn't say critical race theory. She said critical. Then she paused and said program because she knew she was about to tell a lie. They're not teaching critical race theory there. They're teaching him about life. And she's going to have bigger issues with him. Now, I guess he has more black friends because she's saying he's finding strength in numbers. So she's mad that the Negroes are joining together. But guess what, ma'am? That's what he is. When you slept with a black man, you knew you weren't having a black child, a white child. So stop playing dumb. I mean, well, she might not be playing. She might actually just be dumb. Well, you know, I wish my mother would have gone on the news uh, when I didn't get the part of Lucy uh, in, in elementary school when they did the Peanuts play. I felt like it was racism. And I think that was my first experience with racism. Or I could have just been bad. I could have not been a, a good actress to play Lucy. Girl, it was racism for sure. <laughs> I think it's racism today when I don't get these parts, even though it's, <laughs> even though it's Black producers. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. My thing is, why are you taking this seriously anyway? That heifer was lying. I, I don't believe a word she was saying. I think that she concocted most of this, at least most of this. If you notice that when she's talking, she doesn't go into any generalities as to what he's actually being taught. She's he's not talking about what the teachers said to him to make him think these things. To me, this is sound this sounds like what not all white people, but some what they think of what they think that we think when we're seeing that, that like that's how she was trying to, to explain it like we don't think that every single thing is racism but she was trying to make it sound like her kid was assuming that because of the color of his skin like no she got it all wrong like if you're gonna lie about it at least try to be convincing sit down with some black people and try to figure out where they're coming from so that way so that when you go on fox news and you tell that lie you're at least somewhat convincing i, I don't believe a word of what she was saying. I'm, and, and that doesn't mean I don't think that there isn't problematic stuff being taught in schools in problematic ways. I do think there are some issues, but this ain't it. Dr. Oleka? 
I look at this, I think, in a different perspective. Uh, I actually had a conversation with uh, a father the other day. Uh, he and his wife are white. They have an adoptive black son, and, and he reached out to me just from mutual friends and said, look, our kid is about nine years old, and he's really starting to talk about race and understand race, and we don't know how to understand it. And we had a conversation. Obviously, it said, well, you, you have a black son, so this is how he's going to experience the world in a way that is different. I talked about the importance of having black male mentors, people that he can see that look like him, that he can look up to. I bring that up in this context because it, it's, it's unfortunate that this woman, if she is telling the truth, is effectively putting out in the public that she has difficulty raising her son, who is a different ethnic background than her. Her son is mixed, but the world sees him as black, and he's now understanding that, and that's how he apparently, again, assuming this is all true, is starting to identify. I can see how that can be hard for parents. My wife is Filipina. I'm black. Uh, our oldest daughter uh, has some Asian features, so we've had conversations about how is she going to identify? Is she going to consider herself to be Asian only? Is she going to consider herself to be a black woman? How do we help her understand that she is multiracial and multiethnic? So I bring it up to say, yes, if she's lying, then she's lying, and that's a problem. I don't like the fact that these conversations about parenting in multiracial families have become so politicized that this woman felt that the right decision was to get on national television and effectively air her grievances about the difficulties of parenting. So I, I hope she can get that figured out. I really do, uh, because that young man is a black man. That's how he is seeing himself. That's how the world sees him. And he's got to figure out a way. Hopefully he can get some mentors in his life to speak some positivity into him about what that means to be black. Yeah. I myself identify as a white woman, but, um, you know, I've not found any mentors to uh, uh, guide me through that. Dominique, go ahead. Well, my mom is white and my dad is black. And I've had these conversations from every angle you can imagine. But what was so frustrating for me about watching this woman, number one, she's willing to throw her son under the bus on national television, mocking and belittling him as a black man, that's gonna do lifelong damage, not only to her son, but to their relationship. Number two, she clearly has invested zero time in understanding the black experience, black history, or what she was taking on by giving birth to a black child. And yes, I agree with Dr. OJ. We have to know the difference between ethnicity, culture, nationality, and race, which is a made up social construct, so that we don't say dumb stuff. When this child discovered that he was black, which is what it sounded like happened, and then got him some black friends, she was offended. She should have done, done the research, done the work to be able to support him as a black child with multi-ethnic, multicultural roots in white supremacist America. Otherwise, you're sending this child, you know, you're sending them with a knife to a gunfight. And that's not fair. I've had this argument with several white moms who have black children who are in denial. Well, he's not really black. I don't even believe in the term biracial. I think there's one race. It's the human race. You can be have multi-ethnicities, multi-cultures, uh, and, and, and multiple experiences maybe dual nationality, but you, we're all human race as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Uh, the Roper School, America's oldest K through 12 school for gifted children is facing controversy after students were given an assignment on primates titled an introduction to primates and former president Barack Obama's photo was listed on Tuesday. A spokesperson for the school released this statement. We are aware of the lesson taught and continue to review the incident. We are not providing additional information out of respect for the privacy of our community members. 
Interesting. Uh, Dominique, let's stay with you on this. Uh, well, just to say that they said a lot of nothing. They couldn't even condemn the fact that President Barack Obama was portrayed as a primate. You can at least do that. You can at least do that. We'll hear our other panelists' comments on why Barack Obama was on the cover of a primate's list as after commercial break. We'll be right back on Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. Don't you go nowhere. Alicia, you on fire today, huh, boo? Okay. That's Let's get down to business. It's another round of the political and trending highlights of the week on Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack. Please welcome my Friday co-host, the co-founder of the Anti-Racism Kentucky Coalition, Dr. O.J. Oleka, activist and radio personality, Dominique DePrima, comedian and filmmaker, Alicia Cooper, and filling in for Ed Sanders is host of A Fresh Perspective, Jeff Charles. I'm a little offended that y'all, um, you know, y'all, y'all didn't really pay attention to you know, me identifying as a white woman, but okay. Okay. Well, you're an actress. I got crickets on that one. I got complete crickets on that one. I would recommend Robin D'Angelo as your white mentor, Tammy. If you're oh. for one. Who, who should be my mentor? Robin D'Angelo. <laughs> okay. Okay. You're about your fragility. <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're not fragile though. <laughs> Let's get to damn it. That takes me out of the white woman race, I guess. Um, listen, uh, Dr. Oleka, you go ahead and talk to us about uh, this Barack Obama being uh, a part of a list of primates at a at a at a private school, high school. That is actually the school is K through twelve. Yeah, actually, as just as a, a former educator, I'm I am legitimately interested in in how this. Manifested. Obviously, the president is not a primate. It's a silly thing to even have to say that out loud. Uh, but I, I am actually curious as to how the teacher came up with this lesson, how the students reacted. And I want to know what the school is going to do to root out this problem, because this is the kind of thing that gets a headline, uh, which means there were, there were probably incidents similar to this within this teacher's teaching in the past, which obviously is a challenge and a problem for all the, the things we've talked about already today. Uh, if you have teachers who are talking about primates and somehow a black president gets involved, there's an, an obvious problem. So I like to see how the teacher even came up with this, uh, because it, it seems like a far stretch that this person could think that that was ever a good idea. This The reason why this pisses me off so much is because uh, when we talk about, we just finished talking about the woman and uh what her biracial son was being taught at school. And my thing is uh, white people are so concerned about critical race theory and what's going to make their children uncomfortable. How do you, how uncomfortable do you think this makes black children feel? How uncomfortable must this be to, to have to go to school and see that you've labeled the president of the United States as a primate. And I too, because I look like him must be considered a primate as well. Talk about the uncomfortability of sitting in a classroom and not being able to say anything. Get out of here. Really? Go ahead, Dominique. Well, I mean, I've had my son in some of these elite institutions and they talk a good game. This is what I call fake wokeness. But when it comes down to it, as Dr. OJ rightly pointed out, many times it's not just an individual teacher either. It is a, a subculture at that school. Or really, I should say it's the prevalent culture, but it's just on the under. And so, and, and many times private schools do not have to answer to the same rules, regulations that public schools do. So there's a lot of this that goes on. And this is part of the targeting 
uh, of black boys um, and pushing them out of past to success and putting them into the school to prison pipeline. And it has to stop. Mm, yes, yes, Alicia. Yeah, and then somebody in the comments said uh, they didn't see the problem with it because humans are primates. I was like, first of all, if it wasn't a problem, why, <laughs> why didn't the teacher- That was my next question. Aren't we primates? Go ahead. But why didn't the teacher use his own photo then? They knew what they were doing <laughs> and they should take that school and rename it the Barack Obama Academy. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, you know, I know this doesn't happen at most schools, but I think this stuff happens more than often than we think. Because it seems like every few weeks I'm seeing a story like this. Like the last week I saw one of a school having black students pick cotton. I saw another one with a teacher dress up, put on blackface to protest COVID mandates, and she thought she was Harriet Tubman. This happens more often than we think it does. And yeah, I think it, I think it should be talked about. My thing is, I don't even know what they're hoping to accomplish when they do stuff like this. But obviously, this is a thing. I believe what Dominique is saying, I mean, uh, uh, about the fake wokeness. But I mean, I, I think this, this happens far too much, and it doesn't get as much play. And maybe it should be blown up a little bit more. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Yeah, and maybe some people need to be fired as well. Black yeah. Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors is facing more criticism. According to reports, the Black Lives Matter Foundation paid nearly $4 million in consulting payments to its board secretary, Patrice Cullors' brother and the father of her child. Uh, Paul Cullors was paid $840,000 for allegedly providing security services to the nonprofit organization. New financial filings reveal that Paul Cullors is paid more than... Um, dozens of other is paid more than dozens of other employees. It was also revealed that the organization paid a company owned by Damon Turner with whom Patrice Cullors shares a child, almost $970,000 to help produce live events as well as other creative services. And Cullors previously said that her sister, mother, and brother were employed with the Black Lives Matter Foundation. Um, I find this interesting that it's so important after we just watched the president hire his entire family, but okay, Dr. Oleka. Well, I mean, obviously there are different laws that apply. You can hire people to work in a presidential administration. If you have people on your board as a nonprofit, yet they have to sign a conflict of interest statement. For all of us have been on nonprofit boards. I'm, I'm on a nonprofit board. You have to sign a conflict of interest statement that says that you can't do certain things. You have to recuse yourself from certain things. The fact that this organization paid family members who were on the board of the executive director millions of dollars and that might be fraud. I mean, if, if we're talking about what this could actually be, a lot of organizations and businesses didn't think that they were giving money to this organization to enrich a specific family. And so, I mean, she's going to have to answer for those kinds of questions if there's additional lawsuits that are filed, but it is certainly not a good look. Dominique? Yeah, I mean, as Dr. OJ says, I've been on nonprofit boards too. I think it's important to remember when we talk about Black Lives Matter that there are three separate entities. There's the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, which is where all the money is. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about these 990 financial reports that were released by Black Lives Matter. Um, so they, you know, this information is coming from the Global Foundation. Then you have the Political Action Committee, which deals with supporting politicians and laws. And then you have Black Lives Matter grassroots, which is really what Black Lives Matter is. We, when we think of Black Lives Matter, we think of the protests, we think of the people on, uh, marching on the ground, we think of the incredible uh, progress that we've seen in this country because of the anti-racist movement. That is Black Lives Matter grassroots, and they are still active. In fact, they're on their way to Buffalo right now to help feed people and to protest the white supremacy there. So yes, I mean, I think 
I think on the one hand, you have to say, well, it's okay, it's it's important and good for black organizations to have resources. There could be some governance issues, surely there, but at the same time, we have to look at the three separate entities: Black Lives Matter Grassroots doing the work on the ground, Black Lives Matter the PAC and Black Lives Matter, the foundation. And the foundation has been taken over by the very consultants that are being paid. Um, you know, and, and it's a little confusing, but the board chair was not Patrice Cullors. The board chair awarded that money to his own company. And then yes, you know, the governance issues, well, they'll be, they'll be playing out in public, but it's important to understand these are three separate organizations that are affiliated with each other, but run by different people. Well, I mean, it's nice of you to educate us on that, Dominique, but I don't think that uh, most of the world acknowledges three different organizations with the same name. So it's very difficult for- Well, the government does, and they do have different names, Global Network Foundation, Black Lives Matter Grassroots, and Black Lives Matter Political Action Committee. Right. But what I'm saying is the the awning is Black Lives Matter. And so- for the regular lay person, they're not going to sit down and try to figure out the difference between global grassroots and whatever else is in the center. We see Black Lives Matter. And so whichever organization it is that's done this particular, uh, I don't know, alleged crime or whatever it may be. It's not an alleged, well, it's not an alleged crime right now. It's alleged um, nonprofit governance. Uh, okay. Uh, so whichever organization it was that does that, I, I, I think it hurts the... Uh, I guess in this case, it hurts the grassroots and it hurts anything that's labeled Black Lives Matter, unfortunately, because people just don't see the difference, especially if they've been giving their money and now they have to figure out, well, who am I giving my money to? Well, who would I? Well, never mind. I'm just not going to do it anymore because this Black Lives Matter thing is just, uh, I can't figure it out. Just give to your local chapter, then you're good. Jeff? Yeah, you know, I actually appreciate Dominique breaking that down because when I'm talking to conservatives about that, I, I have to educate them on that. I have I try to get them to see the difference between the grassroots and the global because there is a difference. And what the global organization is doing at first, when they, when these reports first started coming out, I thought maybe it was an accident. But now it just seems like a lot of it's on purpose and it's making the grassroots look bad. So, I mean, it, it's just- let's go to commercial break. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack, where we're giving you another round of political and trending highlights with today's guest. Okay, Jeff, you uh, had a thought before we left off. We were talking about Black Lives Matter and the three different branches of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I mean, we were, I mean, there's an issue with the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. I mean, and these stories have been coming out ever since last year about uh, supposed malfeasance. And at first I thought maybe it was incompetence, but as time goes on and more of these stories come out, it's starting to see that seem like at least some of this is on purpose and we'll see how the investigations shake out, but it does give a bad name to a lot of the local chapters who I tell a lot of conservatives, there's a difference between the local chapters and the global foundation. I may not even agree with all the politics of the local chapters, but they're doing the work in the communities, they're feeding people, they're serving their communities. So like Dominique said, if, if somebody's gonna donate money, it, it needs to go to the local chapters, in my opinion, because the, the global foundation can't be trusted at this point. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just suggesting that regular people see Black Lives Matter 
and they don't care if it's local or global. That's true. Because but it's our but it's our job to unpack that, Tammy Mac. Um, did you did you see the announcement that Black Lives Matter grassroots has been locked out of their social media by the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation so that they can only request tweets and posts to go to their four million followers and then the board can reject it or not reject it? I mean, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. So I think it's up to us as black media to help people understand what's going on so that they don't believe everything they see. You know, you, you see a story in the New York Post about a $6 million house. Well, lots of foundations own houses. The Getty Foundation owns like almost a billion dollars in real estate. So like Jeff said, we've got to separate between what's sloppy, what's incompetence, people not used to handling money, and what is criminality or malfeasance. I, I, I agree with that 100%. And that's why I appreciate you uh, giving us the differences. I'm just saying it's very difficult for the organization as a whole to have this issue, regardless yeah. of what branch that they're in, oh, because yeah. under oh, that yeah. name. And I'm like, I don't know if 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 the local branches should go by another uh, another tag now because of how dangerous this whole scandal has been for the organization and its name. Part of the reason it's dangerous is because right-wing media outlets lie and add on to it and put spin. And every single movement that we've seen in this country has had growing pains, scandals, whatever. Black Lives Matter motivated more people to march than any movement that we know of in recorded history. So I don't think they give up the brand. I think they keep doing the work and let the work speak for itself. Dr. Oleka? One the right-wing that said, to Patrice Cullors, why don't you put your family on the board and pay them millions of dollars? I they, mean, you can't no, dress no, the family wasn't on the board. You're to. confused. The family was paid for jobs. They weren't on the board. Uh, based on the report that we got, you had family members on the board and then they paid themselves. Well, currently there are no family members on the board. Currently, Global Network Foundation is run by consultants who have minimal ties to Black Lives Matter. Again, if you are an organization that was expected to give money to a specific cause. And it turns out that the family members of the executive director got paid millions of dollars. You're probably gonna get under the accusation of fraud. That's not a right-wing talking point. That's just the law, as we've all pointed out. Yeah, I don't think we're at millions, but yeah, I think, I think it could be problematic. We have to see, like you said, how it plays out. Alicia? Yeah, and they, well, they were like three main founders. They keep focusing in on this one lady. You know, so um, this is going to be interesting how it all shakes out. I'm still doing my research. Well, yeah, I, I think they're focusing on Patrice because uh, Patrice bought the real estate. Patrice paid her, uh, the father of her child. Okay, wait, 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 Tammy, not true. Patrice bought real estate from her private funds that those are her homes and her family's homes. The $6 million house was bought. Uh, well, I don't know. She may have had something to do with that, but that was bought by the foundation and that belongs to the foundation. Right. I understand that. But I guess I'm saying her connection. These are where her connections had been. Right. Plus, the other two founders had already left by the time all this is happening. So Patrice uh, Colors is, is, you know, is going to be the focus because she was the last of the original founders that was still at the foundation. Now she's no longer there either. Um, there is certainly a lot to unpack in Ooh in the Black Lives Matter uh, issue. And I, and I really hope that it does not hurt the movement. And I hope that they can um, 
push forward, move forward. And I certainly hope that the local chapters aren't affected by it as well. Um, I hope we can still fight and, and make that matter, make Black lives matter. That's what I'm hoping. Okay, so um, let's talk about Jay-Z because he's doing uh, a little Black Lives Matter in himself. Uh, according to reports, New York State Senate passed a bill that would limit song lyrics from being used as evidence in criminal cases. Senate Bill S. 7527, also known as the Rap Music on Trial Bill, will not ban the use of lyrics or other creative material in court, but prosecutors must prove that the lyrics are literal rather than fictional. The bill is currently pending as it awaits approval from the New York State Assembly. The bill is supported by celebrities such as Jay-Z, Meek Mill, Fat Joe, uh, Kelly Rowland, and others. If the bill passes, uh, what would this mean for artists such as Young Thug and Gunna, who are both uh, facing RICO charges? Um, if convicted, the defendants could spend decades in jail. Jeff? Yeah, I mean... I will say that if you commit a crime and then rap about it, I don't feel bad for you if you go to jail. At the same time, I don't think that the government should be able to use that. I mean, I think that if, if you're going to accuse somebody of a crime, whether it's murder, tax evasion, what have you, I, I want the government to have a high, higher standard of proof than that. I want them to have concrete evidence that a crime was committed before they throw someone in a cage. And rap lyrics, really, I don't, I'm not even sure how many convictions they've been able to get based on rap lyrics. Chances are there was other evidence of a crime committed or the person was being railroaded. So I, I'm not a fan of using lyrics to in, in the evidence to convict somebody. Alicia? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, lyrics shouldn't be evidence. Like, this is, it could be hyperbole, it could be anything. But um, I don't really even know a lot of the rap lyrics. One thing that I always remember, which was my favorite lyric of all time, is industry rule number 4080, record company people are shady. That's my favorite <laughs> lyric. There it is. <laughs> so ABC Entertainment president said the network is open to Chris Rock hosting the 2023 Oscars following the Will Smith incident. Should Chris Rock get another shot at hosting the Oscars? First of all, I think people need to remember, I don't believe Chris Rock, Chris Rock wasn't hosting the Oscars uh, when this happened, that he wasn't the host, but he has host before. Should he get another swing at it? Oh, no pun intended. Dr. Oleka? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously uh, he certainly should because he's done it before. He's a comedian. He's a funny guy. For the look of it, though, I probably wouldn't choose him next year uh, because, again, Will Smith certainly did a terrible thing this year's Oscars, but Will Smith is a decorated actor. He's done a great job throughout his career. Same thing with Jada Pinkett Smith. I think it would just be, see, you're going to make me do the pun too. I was going to say it'd be a slap in the face, but now I don't know what to say. <laughs> but it would be inappropriate to pick Chris Rock probably next year. Jeff? I think Chris Rock should host all the Oscars. I, I don't watch him, <laughs> but right. I, I think he should. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think you really got to hand it to him because I, I think he does, he does, he does a great oh. job. He's when he's doing anything. Yeah, Dominic, I'm a dad too. So, okay. Dominic, what you got? Sure, Chris is great, um, but I do agree with OJ on this. Oh, you don't think he should? Well, no, not next year, because all it's going to make us talk about the whole time is the slap instead of the movies. Um, but I would love to see Chris Rock in the future because he's funny and talented, and I always like seeing him. Well, I think the Oscars need a boost in ratings, and so having Chris Rock host would probably be their best bet. <laughs> True. Yeah, I think his it sounds like his representatives are using this as leverage to get him that job back. But Chris will be safe because Will has been banned. 
but I don't want him up there flinching every time he tells a joke because he's <laughs> going to storm the stage. So this is going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a good host. I think he's been a good host in the past, and I think he's a good selection. TGIF is coming up next, so stick around for TGIF. Uh, this concludes the business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. Thanks, and have a great weekend.